You're listening to an audio sermon from Redemption Church in Olds, Alberta. It is our prayer that through this ministry, we will see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, or to let us know how we can be praying for you, visit us online at www.redemptionolds.com or send us an email at info at redemptionolds.com. Corey mentioned the kids are in service uh, with us this week. Um, this is one of those things in the life of the church we want you guys to be a part of for sure um, and be able to, uh, to witness this and, and see it. And, and so as always, oh, I try for always, I'm with the fill-ins. Um, are there any kids that didn't get the little fill-in sheet that need one yet? Or adults, no shame in it. I, I was told to stop calling them kids fill-ins because they're just helpful. Um, all right, well, kids, if you fill that in and follow along through this sermon, all, all you need is going to be up on the, on the screen there. Um, I have a big bag of candy, and you can come and, and grab a couple of candies for me. So I might be a little distracted for a minute after the service, but then I'll be in the fellowship hall, and uh, you can come find me and, uh, and grab a candy. I want to encourage you in that. Um, Bibles. Grab your Bible, pull it out. We want you to have God's Word open in front of you. If you don't have a Bible with you, maybe you forgot yours, um, please, there should be one in the pew in front of you or near you. Pull that out. Um, We want you to be following along uh, as we go. I have nothing of value. Um, I have no great wisdom. Um, We're going to look together at God's Word. And uh, if you don't have a Bible at home or one that you can read easily, please take this one. Uh, It is our gift to you. We are, are thrilled to have those Uh, walking out of here, so um, feel absolutely free to take that. Um, If you're using a pew Bible, um, we're looking at Acts chapter 2, and that's going to be on page 910 uh, in in the pew Bibles there, but Acts chapter 2 is where I'll be heading this morning. Um, Well, you may have noticed we have a hot tub on stage, Um, and in a few minutes, we're going to bring five people up here and dunk them underwater. And a bunch of us are going to get really excited about that. And that's weird. Like, has that struck you how odd this is? Why do we do this? And then since we're asking these questions, aren't there a few other things? Like, what's with snacks in church? Little tiny crumb of bread and barely enough juice to wet your mouth. Why do we do that? Um, Can you just wait for another, like, 20 minutes and go out for a burger and a a full-size pop? And there's more than that, isn't there? there? There are all kinds of things. This communal singing thing, like who does that anymore? These long, drawn-out lectures. What about this little fabric bag that they pass around? I think people are putting money in there. There are so many things we do about our church, so many things we do here that I think if you're on the outside looking in, it doesn't make sense. Why do you do that? And so um, maybe, on the other hand, you grew up in the church. This is just normal, predictable. This is what you expect. And yet I wonder, have you ever stopped to ask, why why do we do that? Why, what, what does that mean? What is that about? You've never really stopped and thought about it. And there are thousands of things that we could look at. Um, We're not going to hit them all, but we're going to take the next 10 weeks or so and just talk about the church. 
Just take a closer look at why we do the things we do. What's it all about? What's the significance behind these kind of regular parts of our gathering together? And uh, the issue in question this morning uh, is this practice we have of, of dunking people underwater. We call it baptism. Why do we do that? Well, the answer to that question is in Acts chapter 2, or that's one of the places we can go to answer it. And, uh, and here we see this, this practice of baptism is like part of the conversation from the very beginning of the church. Like embryonic stage, it is there. So follow along as I read. We're looking at Acts chapter 2. We're going to start all the way down to verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and for your children, all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 souls. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it gives us the answers, that it tells us what to do, how to do it, what it means. Thank you for this church, that a family, a body that you have gathered together. God, we want to be intentional to be the church you've called us to be. That we don't just do things because we do them, but, but that we do what your word has commanded us to do and why you have commanded us to do it. So Lord, I pray this morning, um, as I speak, God, that you, would, that you would take my words, you would take what I have prepared. Um, God, if there's anything that I have prepared this morning that is not from you, that is not true to your word, um, will those words just not be heard? Will those words fall to the ground? And God, I pray... Uh, for our hearts as we come together to your word, which convicts us and challenges us and corrects us and instructs us. God, that we be moldable in your hands, um, that you would soften our hearts um, to see your truth and submit ourselves to it. God, we pray these things uh, for the good of your church, the glory of your name. Amen. Well, it's pretty obvious, I think, as you start reading in verse 37, um, these verses start in the middle of a story. Um, we've, we've cut right in the middle, the, the, first, the first verse there, uh, verse 37, when they said this. Well, we don't know who they are, and we don't know what this is, or when they heard this. So what is it that they heard, and, and who are they? Um, this story takes place right at what many people call the birth of the church. Um, it begins with the gospel. And, and that's point one. Um, baptism begins with the gospel. So if we flip back to look at what has happened so far, and we could go back uh, into the, the book of John and see that, that Jesus has been crucified and buried and resurrected again. And now there are these 120 or so followers of Jesus. So a group um, about the size of what we have here this morning, if you can imagine that. And uh, Jesus um, has met with them one last time. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Before going up into heaven, Jesus said, But you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So this group is huddled together then after that, waiting, wondering what's going to happen, what do we do? They're a little bit fearful and, and God fulfills that promise. The Holy Spirit comes. There's this sound of a, of a mighty rushing wind. This is the start of chapter 2. These tongues of fire come to, to rest on each of them. The Holy Spirit has come. So they do what Jesus promised. They are empowered and they go out to be witnesses, to speak to anyone who will listen. God does another uh, amazing miracle at that point. Um, they spoke to people who were there from, from all around the known world. There was this feast going on in Jerusalem called the Feast of Pentecost. And so um, these people had come from, from far away and, and they each hear the apostles speaking in their own language. People are confused. They're wondering what's going on. Um, seems like a strange accusation. They're saying maybe these guys are drunk. I don't know any drunk guy who all of a sudden speaks a new language. That would be a new one for me. But that's what they're wondering. And so Peter, uh, the leader of the apostles, stands up, verse 14, and he, and he summarized, we have a summary here of his message that he gave. Um, he began to be this witness of Jesus. Here's what happened. This is the truth. He told them, um, what, what you're seeing and hearing, these, these different languages, this is a miracle. This is what God promised long ago would happen, that he would send his Holy Spirit. This is a sign that it's happened. Um, and, and the Spirit's coming was directly tied to the Messiah's coming. He's saying it's happened. Jesus, the Messiah, has come. And so God has poured out his Holy Spirit. Verse 21. Now everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what it's about. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And the, the climax of his sermon comes down in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So that's where we leave off when we get to verse 37. The they, there is all these people in Jerusalem who've gathered around, who have heard uh, these apostles speaking in their own languages, who have heard the gospel from Peter. And that's the, that's the what that they had heard. It's the gospel. Specifically that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. Lord and Christ. This, this Jesus, it wasn't that long ago, that they had rejected Jesus, that they had gathered together as Jews at, a, at another feast, the Feast of Passover. There was many of the same people gathered in Jerusalem 50 days before this, and they crucified this Jesus. And he's Lord. Lord was a loaded, loaded term. This promised Messiah is actually exactly what he said he was. He was God. God himself come down. He is the ruler, the ultimate ruler over all things. He demands complete submission. He's Lord and he is Christ, the promised Messiah. Um, Christ literally means the anointed one, the, the chosen one. This is the one that God had been promising from centuries back, saying, I'm going to send the rescuer. I'm going to send a, a savior, a Messiah, and this is him. Christ simply means 
Savior. Now, no wonder they're cut to the heart. God sent you his Savior. In fact, it was he himself come down as the rescuer, and you killed him. You killed him. Everyone stops. What do we do? Remember, they had just heard moments before in in Peter's uh, sermon there that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord would be saved, could be rescued from their sin. So is it possible that that rescue could even include them? They who had rebelled against God, they who had spat in his face, who who had literally pinned him to a cross and murdered him, that they could still be saved? So they begin to ask Peter and the apostles, brothers, what do we do? What do we do? I mean, they're, they're cut to the heart. They're trembling in their boots. What do we do? That's what initiates this conversation then about baptism. It's the gospel. Baptism begins with understanding that we're sinners before God. That we stand before him guilty. It's not just those who literally nailed Jesus to the cross, but anyone, anyone who has sinned against God. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not one of us has lived in, in perfect, continuing obedience to his law. Baptism begins with this understanding that we're sinners, and baptism begins with the hope that we too can be saved, that there's a way, there's a rescue. Baptism begins with the gospel. But then secondly, um, baptism is our response to the gospel. Baptism is our response to the gospel. They asked Peter, what shall we do? Verse 38. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and your children, all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. Repent and be baptized. Twofold answer. What do, we, what do we do? We're guilty before God. How do we respond? Repent and be baptized. Repent means turn around. Turn around. That's it's simple meaning go the other way. Make a 180 degree switch. A complete change of heart, change of mind. They were thinking one way about Jesus as they mocked him and hated him and crucified him. They were thinking one way about God as they they lived their lives irreverent to him, carrying on in their own way. To repent means you have, have to have an absolute change of mind about Jesus, who we think he is, how we act towards him. And an absolute change of mind about sin. We used to run after sin and selfishness. It was all about me and and my world and my kingdom, me doing what I think is right. We trusted in sin. We trusted in the things of this world to to satisfy us, to to fulfill us. God says, don't don't go over there. And we say, no, I think that's what will make me happy. Peter says, you need to turn away. Let it go. Turn around. That's what it means to to repent, turn away from sin. And then he says, be baptized. 
The word baptize um, is just a Greek word that we've ripped off. We, we didn't even try to translate it. The Greek word is baptizo. So congratulations, you speak Greek. Um, and it means to dunk. So you would go to the sink and you would baptize your dishes. Um, it just means to submerge. Now, why would Peter say that? Like, where did Peter come up with this idea of, of baptism? What do we do? Well, you need to repent uh, and get dunked. Well, he got it from Jesus. Matthew 28, 18 and 19, this is the Great Commission. Jesus came and said to them, that's to his, his disciples, his followers, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus told them, make disciples and baptize them. Dunk them. But let's get to the point of our question. Why baptism? What is it? What does it do? What does it mean? Why the dunk? Well, baptism was not an entirely new thing. This wasn't a fresh idea on the scene. Um, actually, baptism has its roots in the Old Testament. It, it, it's grounded there. The book of Exodus. God rescued his people out of Egypt, brought them to Mount Sinai, and he told Moses, I'm going to come down. The people are going to hear from me, but first they need to go and wash themselves. Everyone go and be washed, and then you can be in my presence. The tabernacle, the temple, later on out in the courtyard. That's where God's presence would dwell. That's where they would go to make sacrifices to God. And out in the courtyard of the temple is this large bronze wash basin. And the priests had to bathe themselves before they could go in. You have to be washed before you approach God. It's symbolic. You need to be purified of your sin. The Old Testament law throughout Leviticus, we see this frequently. The, the law has this, this idea of, of cleanliness and uncleanliness. If you had a skin disease, or if you had touched a, a dead animal or a dead person, or if you had a, a bodily discharge or an infection, you were, you were considered unclean. And so you couldn't go into the temple. You couldn't participate in the feasts or, or community life in that unclean state. You needed to be washed. You needed a bath was part of the, the restoring you to the fellowship. In the years before Jesus, if you were not a Jew, but you wanted to become one, so you're an outsider, you're a Gentile looking in going, I like this God. I want a part of this. I think he's blessing this nation. I want, I want in on that. There were three things you had to do. Um, you had to be circumcised. You had to bring a burnt offering of cattle. And then you had to go under what they called the bath of purification. They had a tub of water, and they would dunk you under as this symbolic joining in with the people of Israel. And then you were considered a Jewish proselyte. You were, you were kind of initiated into the nation of Israel, the people of God. So when John the Baptist came, he shook things up a little bit. He began saying, it's not just the proselytes that need to be baptized. We all need to be baptized. Even the Jews should be baptized and and. and Mark tells us that, that John came preaching a baptism of repentance, specifically preparing the way for the coming of Jesus. And again, it wasn't just about washing with water. It wasn't just getting rid of dirt. It wasn't just because you smelled bad. It was symbolic. This dunking was about being purified from sin. Purified from sin. 
And as so many things through Scripture that, that build through the Old Testament, we see these kind of hints and shadows pointing forward. And when Jesus comes, he fills it out. He tells us what it's all about. He gives it its, its fullest, most complete meaning. Jesus took baptism, this picture of washing, and he filled it out. Paul explains it best. Romans 6, 3, and 4. Actually, that whole uh, first half of that chapter is, is so helpful as we think about baptism. But verses 3 and 4 are right to the point. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's what it's about. This washing that we need, uh, it's about being crucified with Christ and raised again. It's, this, it's, it's not just a surface washing, right? Because it's not just a surface problem. Our sin, our guilt, it goes right to the, to the core of who we are. We need more than just a, a washing with water. We talked about this last week, um, looking at, at 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Um, Titus 3, 5 says that he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, not because we were good people who impressed him or did all these wonderful things, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, the washing of regeneration. The word regeneration literally just means new birth or a new coming into existence. The washing of Jesus. The washing that's symbolized in baptism is so complete, it's like starting over. It's like regenerating. It's like being born again. The the washing of Jesus is, is a new birth. So being baptized into Jesus means that that old me, the me that was sinful and dirty with guilt and shame, he died with Jesus. He was, he was crucified on that cross and he was buried with Jesus. And you see the, the symbolism of going down in under the water. He's dead. You see the idea of repentance built in, turning away from, from sin and selfish living. I'm dead to those things now. And then coming up out of the water. It's the new me. New life, washed clean, made pure. And Paul says, so that we can walk in newness of life. Let's pause for a moment and be clear. Are you saying that dunking in water does all of that? Going underwater gives me this new life, this fresh start? No. No, the the Bible doesn't teach that. Peter's not teaching that here. From the beginning, the bronze wash basin, the washing uh, at Mount Sinai, the ceremonial washings through Leviticus, John's baptism of repentance. It, it was never about the physical act of washing. It was always an act of faith. It was trusting. The physical act of baptism is just, just a symbol. Baptism is an, an outward display of an inward reality. There's something happening on the outside, but that's not what's important. What's important is that it's pointing to something that's happened spiritually, internally. It's this physical way of saying, I've put my faith in Jesus. I'm trusting him. And that old me is gone, and, the, and I've been washed by him, and the, and the new me is here. I have a new life. So when Paul 
says in baptism we're united in the death and life of Christ. Um, He doesn't mean in getting dunked in water. He means everything symbolized by baptism. Everything that baptism points to, that's what unites us with Christ. Baptism is just the emblem of it. It's kind of like when you go to a wedding and they say, with this ring I thee wed, and the husband and wife put on wedding rings. Are they married because of the ring? Is it the putting on of the ring that makes it a marriage? No. No, the, the, the ring is just a symbol. It's just a, a physical display of a sacred covenant made uh, before God. Baptism is a symbol. It's a physical act that symbolizes my faith in Jesus. Paul um, unites these two ideas clearly, Colossians 2.12. He says, having been buried with him, buried with Jesus in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. See the mechanics at work? It's in baptism that we're buried with Christ. But it happens through faith. Faith is is the working piece here. Faith in the powerful working of God. So in baptism, baptism pictured it, but it happens through faith. So when Paul says, be baptized, or sorry, Peter in Acts 2 here, when he says, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, there's nothing magical about baptism, but it's the faith that it symbolizes. Repent and turn to Christ. What does turning to Christ look like? What does it mean to to put your faith in him? And it it means baptism and everything that that entails. The Bible consistently teaches us we are saved by grace through faith. Baptism does not save. Ephesians 2.8, by grace you've been saved through faith and this not of yourselves. It says nothing of baptism. Jesus, John 3.36, whoever believes in me has eternal life. He says nothing about baptism. You're not saved by baptism. We're saved by faith, by believing in Jesus But here's the thing, the disciples simply understood baptism as a symbol of our faith. And so they used that word kind of interchangeably with faith. Even Jesus, Mark 16, 16, look at this carefully. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. Notice the second half doesn't mention baptism. If you do not believe you will be condemned. Belief is the, the key operating function here. And yet, Jesus so assumes this link between faith and baptism that he just simply says, if, if you believe and are baptized, you'll be saved. Because belief and baptism go together. Because baptism is what faith in action looks like. It's the, the physical display of it. They go hand in hand. And so the first And most pressing question is, do you believe? Have you put your faith in Christ? Have you trusted him in this way? Do you recognize, as the Bible says of you, that you are a sinner? That you were born with a sinful heart that was rebellious against God and you have willingly lived in line with that? You've gone your own way. Maybe you didn't physically put the nails into Jesus' hands and feet, but practically you rejected him. And you see now that he is both Lord and Christ. Those two go together. He is the master to whom we must submit every aspect of our life. And he's the savior. 
by whom we can be rescued from the wrath of God that we deserve. If you find yourself this morning cut to the heart, there's good news. Everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what should you do? Repent. Admit your sinfulness. Admit that you've been living according to your own standard, making your own way without God. Turn away. Turn away from that life of self-serving and sinfulness and believe. Trust in him as Savior. Lay the the burden of your, your guilt and your shame at his feet to be washed, to be made new. Confident that that no one who comes in in humble repentance and true faith will ever be turned away. It's an offer of grace. Believe. Secondly, if you have repented and believed, be baptized. Take the the first step of obedience in following Jesus. Put that faith into into visible action. Make it a, a public display. That old me, he's dead and gone. There is a new me. I am a follower of Christ. I'm with him. And if you're a believer today and you've not been baptized, come talk to me after the service. Heck, we won't even drain this tub. We'll set it right. We'll go for this again next Sunday. Um, Let's talk. Don't put it off. Don't put it off a day more. So baptism begins with the gospel begins with understanding that we're sinners who need a savior and that God has made that possible. And baptism is part of our response to the gospel. Thirdly, as we talk about the church, why we do what we do, verses 40 and 41 show us that baptism is is our entrance into the church. Verse 40, with many other words, he bore witness And continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. First of all, that's crazy. Can you imagine overnight a gathering from this size just all of a sudden adding 3,000 people? Like we think we're going through some growing pains right now. That's another level. We get the sense here that. Obviously, Peter continued to teach. We don't have everything that he said. He went on saying many other things. But the the heart of it, the crux of it was this. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Their generation. Um, That's not thinking linear sense, but your people, your generation, the, the group of people that you belong to, that you identify with, are crooked, are wicked. That's where you get your identity. You're part of this group and and they're evil. You need to save yourself from that. You need to leave that group. He's saying you need to get out. Baptism is renouncing that old identity. Saying, I don't don't belong in the world anymore. That's not who I am anymore. I'm, I'm putting that off. Verse 41 says 3,000 souls were added that day. You can imagine what that would have been like for someone who had grown up as a Jew, who was obviously fairly devout, who had come to the Feast of Pentecost. The last time I hung out with these guys, we were shouting together, crucify him. Now I'm standing up publicly to say, I'm out. I'm not with you anymore. I'm going with him. That's cost. That's a big change. 
And again, 3,000 were added. Well, added to what exactly? Well, if we push just a little further, context is always helpful. Verse 42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. They're added to the church. They're headed to the church. They're gathering together. They're doing all these things that we're talking about. Baptism is this change of identity, but it's also a change of association. They're no longer seen as members of that crooked generation. They renounced their membership in the, in the synagogue and in, in, in society. Now they're members of the body of Christ, members of the church. Now, much like the relationship between baptism and faith, there's a spiritual reality and a physical demonstration of it. At the moment of salvation, when you put your faith in Christ and you become part of the body of Christ, right there, born again as a child of God, you belong to the family of God. And that's what we call the universal church or the, the invisible church. That's the, that's the true church. It's every true believer who is spiritually knit together around this world and through time, the universal church. And so by faith, you're joined to the universal church, the body of Christ. But then there's this physical display. There's what we call the local church, the visible church. Redemption Church Olds is a local church. We are one expression, one, one physical representation of the, the universal church as we gather here together. Through baptism, you're making this display of your faith. You're taking what has happened to spiritual reality inside of you and making it physically visible, declaring it publicly, saying, I'm not part of this wicked world anymore. Now I'm part of Christ. And so uh, by faith, you're joined to the universal church. By baptism, you're, you're joined to the local church. You become part of the, the visible family. And so baptism, this strange act of dunking people under the water, uh, is not an empty ritual. It's not meaningless. It's not just as weird as it might seem. Maybe it's weird, but it's meaningful. It's significant. It begins with the gospel. It begins with the reality that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And it's this integral part of our response to the gospel. Saying, yeah, I'm, I'm with him. I'm, I'm done with that old life of sin that used to define me. Now I'm, I'm following Christ and entering into this new fellowship of the church. I'm part of that body now. That's where I identify. That's who I am. It's this outward symbol of, of the most significant spiritual reality that there is. So today we have this joy and privilege to, to participate in this visible church gathered together um, some people are baptized. Some people take that step of saying, yeah, um, I'm in. I want to make this public. I want to put my faith on display. And, uh, and we have five people doing that this morning. So um, if you're seated around, if you want to come and move up to the front pew and begin to prepare, um, we'll have them share their testimony. Because, uh, again, baptism is this picture of the inward reality. We want to hear that story. We want to hear what, what Christ has done in them. And uh, once they've each shared, we'll move over uh, into the tank. So um, let, me, uh, let me pray for you guys first, and then we'll have you come.
Father, thank you for these who have um, desired to walk in, in obedience to you, have desired to join the, um, the visible fellowship of your church, and that they are standing today to, to, to proclaim what Christ has done that though they were once dead in their trespasses and sins, by your grace they have been made alive in Christ. Now we celebrate um, the work that you have done. Lord, I pray that you would give them courage now, um, that you would give them peace as they come uh, to share, and God, that you would speak through them, that you would encourage our hearts um, as we uh, think about and, 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 and wonder at the work that you have done. We pray in Jesus' name.